This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. A trio of novels by Hugh Howey, Silo's future is bleak, where the outside world is deadly to the 10,000 survivors within a giant multi-level underground silo. But perhaps there are dangers inside, as the residents live with a very strict code, and a violation leads to death. A hard-working engineer named Juliet Nichols, played by Rebecca Ferguson, is the lead on the journey to solve what bothers her, that the truths in the silo could be as manufactured as the silo itself. Rebecca Ferguson is Juliet Nichols, and I joined her in a roundtable setting. Great to meet you, Rebecca. One of the things I look for in an actor's performance is not just what they say, but the way they stand and the way they act. And with uh, Juliet, I noticed at first, she kind of, at times, slightly hunched and didn't make eye contact at first with people because, for whatever reason, was that something that you wanted to bring or to the character or was that in the script? It's, it's so silly. It's like if you would write something and I would go, by the way, I hit, I hit that little note in your writing and you go, yes, thank you. I did. I worked. I worked actually with... And it sounds maybe a bit silly. I don't think so. I worked with a body movement coach because I often find myself quite erect, um, poised. Uh, and I thought I really don't want to do that with her because she needs something else. And especially being in a cramped environment with the machinery, you would have these sort of body traumas. Uh, so the hunchback and the fact that she doesn't look at people, I think, is very much how I interpret someone who has a lot of grief and sadness and anger and has these sort of horse thingies up and just moves. She doesn't want to touch people. She doesn't want to be around people. She just wants a machine. So thank you. Yes, I worked really hard on that. Well, it shows great. And, and I love as she progressed how it changed a little bit too. So that was cool. Thank you. Well, I think one of the main themes of this is truth and what is truth. And the silo has kind of its own and won't say anything more. Talk about that theme. It really rings, hate to say it, but true to the series. Such a lovely juxtaposition filled world, word of horror. It's funny, isn't it? Because the word is what ejects Juliet into moving forward and into a new position and idealism. It's so interesting to speak about these, so generally and broad. <laughs> but it's also a word that is so misused um, and a word that a lot of people don't question. And it's interesting in this environment that is so compact, I remember... I remember um, Hugh Howey once said, he talks about the philosophy of the two minds, Rosso versus Hopper. Rosso says that society is born, we're born good and society destroys us. And Hopper said, we're born evil and society tames us. So he said he liked the idea in the books anyway to have those different idealisms and IT basically being the idea that society tames you, control, truth, the pact, and then you have something like the mechanical, who is all about tactile, moving forward, fighting, having feelings and emotions. But one can't really work without the other. What is the truth? But what you first need to is ask the question, who is controlling us? What is controlling us? You know? 
So the truth is asked on so many different levels. And also, like, I come back to philosophically, but Juliet and all the characters, what is the truth for you? Chinaz Oche's character, Billings, hides behind the truth of something that he's hiding with with something that we can't talk about. We all, <laughs> we all have our own truths and how much we need to disclose of it. Great answer. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Appreciate Love Spark Hunter, too, by the way. Oh, you listened to it. I sure did. It was fantastic. There's more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. The origins of Silo began as a short story in 2011. The standalone story drew attention as it debuted online. Other stories, Wool, Shift, and Dust, followed. The one big change was Howie's story focused on Sheriff Holston Becker and his wife, Allison Becker, as they tried to have a baby, but under very strict guidelines. But they find secrets about the silo that causes doubts in the couple. To make the transition to a television series, Emmy-winning showrunner and executive producer and writer Graham Yost was brought on board to adopt the novels, deciding that the series would focus on Juliet Nichols instead. He felt, though, that Holston and Allison be part of the story as well, as we will see in the first few episodes. Mysteries began to unravel soon enough in the story. How and who created the silo? What information is available and to whom? Is there life outside of the silo? Residents only see a glass window that depicts a barren world. Those that defy the status quo are sent out with a spacesuit of sorts when they say they want to go outside, and that decision is final. Outside, they are given wool to clean the glass so others can see their journey from the big glass window in the mess hall. Usually, the person outside collapses, apparently dead, as many watch in horror. But is this picture they see real? That's one of the mysteries of Silo. But the big question asked is, who owns the truth? And what is the truth? Hugh Howie and Graham Yost talked to me about creating this series and one of its themes. Great to talk to you. What an amazing series. I really have thoroughly enjoyed it. It's really been something else. Oh, thank you. That is really nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, this was a monumental task. Kind of talk a little bit about the process of going from Hugh's novels to the small screen, although I have a big screen, so it's not so small for me. That's right. For a lot of people, the small screen is pretty big these days. Um, you know, really, it was a matter of okay, the reason I wanted to do it was I love a mystery. This is a great mystery show because you're trying to figure out who built the silo, why, when, when's it going to be safe to go outside. And it has a great central character of Juliet. Those were the things that attracted me. So when we looked at it, and he was part of the mini room, <coughs> when we were first just seeing how a first season might look and the first episode would be like, we knew two things. One, pretty quickly, is how it would start, which is with basically the novella that, that Hugh wrote um, about Holston and Allison, and how it would end, uh, the, how the first season would end. And also, from the rest of the books, are there more seasons here? Yes, there are, there are several more seasons here. So we, there's, we felt safe that there are places to go, and, and Hugh does not repeat himself. If you answer this mystery, you're not going to get the same kind of mystery. You're going to go deeper into a better bigger mystery and, and on down. So we felt that there was material 
um, and we felt confident in that. Yeah, I mean, you. This is a it's an amazing piece of work, and this is really for both of you. But to me, what stands out is really what truth is, and how, especially these days, where one man's or one person's truth might not be another one. Both speak on that theme. It's so strong in this, and that's what helped me connect with. It's it. interesting when I wrote the story. Um, my my sense of not getting the truth was mostly just that we were getting very limited perspectives and that uh, we were viewing the world through filters. But that question of uh, what is truth has gotten much more interesting and scary since the book was written, because now um, we have to just assume that you're real. Like I've seen deep fakes and um, generative AI doing things that just boggle the mind. Um, so I, 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 I thought these were older questions I was playing with, like back to Plato's cave analogy of can we see the the, the true form of things, or do we only see their shadows? But the question's actually getting a little more interesting now. Um, can we even trust our eyes anymore? And so um, I'm lucky that this story has become maybe more germane and more uh, applicable to our times and that we didn't kind of leave it behind 10 years ago. Graham, as far as plotting out the season, kind of take us through a little bit of that as, as far as how you how you wanted to go and 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 what and the end point to get to the end point we saw you know listen we we're we're writers and we gravitate towards the three act structure which as we in our business we really call it, it's mostly like four acts really where it's the the middle act the second act has a break point in the middle so you're looking for those big blocks for us we thought of the first three episodes as the first act of the season and then the next three or so or two through sort of the middle maybe up through eight and then from eight nine ten that's the the final act so that's the way we broke it and uh, and it's just it's something that is just a gut feeling for all the writers you know where where do we want to make this big turn when do we want to find that out um, um, we have a writer we worked with who's worked on Nancy Drew, and she'll talk about mystery show things. One is the card turn. This is a really good card turn, and she'll say, let's follow the clue path, right? And so even though this is a mystery show, it's not a conventional mystery show, and we'd sort of pay attention to some of those um, structures and, and approaches. One of the things that's intriguing about this is there everyone kind of has their own little kingdom where IT has their own kingdom and judicial, and there's sort of a jockeying as to who's number one. And law enforcement seems to be actually the ones that are kind of left behind and their hands are tied. Um, talk about that aspect of it. I find that fascinating that in this contained world, I guess you could say a lot of our vices or, or problems today still kind of creep in there. Yeah, in this world, law enforcement is kind of a tool that's being used by other people. So they don't have a lot of autonomy. They just have the uh, this belief in the pact. It's uh, almost a religious uh, conviction that the rules are correct and have to be in, be enforced. And and that takes some of their. Um, in a lot of the other departments, uh, all have ideas and ways to do things differently. And I think as the enforcers of the rules. Um, the uh, police department has less to say, which makes it really interesting when one of the people who really unravels this whole structure is married to the sheriff. So you have someone whose job it is to uphold the rules and their partner is someone who's starting to question them. 
And I think that makes the pilot just uh, have an incredible velocity and and um, unbelievable interpersonal tension. The one person you want to go to and confide in is the person who puts you to death if you say these things. And how does that play mm-hmm. out in a relationship? It's really compelling to watch. It sure has been. Gentlemen, thank you. Great series. I have a theory as to what happens at the end, which I can't discuss, but uh, it's not, to me, it's not what it seems, but that's my own opinion. We'll talk about it in the follow-up. All right, (laughs) see you. Freedom Day is a celebrated holiday about the crushing of an internal silo revolt 140 years ago. But there's no indication as to what the revolt was about. Tim Robbins is Bernard, the head of IT. What a pleasure. It's uh, what a what a fascinating show. I've seen them all and it's uh, what a season. Man, incredible. And, it, you know, it seems that as head of IT, your character does have a level of control uh, in the series. Uh, talk, I mean, it's powerful, but um, I mean, it's there's all it's also a big responsibility. So it's not just a power grab. Can I talk a little bit about you know, what he had kind of what he has to do and how it affects him. Well, he has the the well-being and lives of 10,000 people on his shoulders at all times. Uh, The slightest deviation from his prescribed reality could result in the annihilation of the silo. So, um, I love the idea of playing a character that had that challenge. Um, Always curious, always been curious about what it is that is compromised in people in positions of power when they have to make these difficult decisions and uh, how they justify them. Whether they're justifying them truly for the good of the people or whether that it has to do with a warped sense of their own importance and power. Um, it's always uh, it's always a challenge uh, to run an organization or a government or a silo. How does one do that in a humane way and in a way that allows for freedom? Or is freedom impossible in a situation like this. And in that case, uh, how much does that person have to create an alternate reality that has the illusion of freedom? And in that case, how much does that person have to control the information that is being received by the people in the society? And how much is that information compromised uh, by uh, the truth, and what happens when a counter narrative exists that challenges the truth that has been created? These are all questions that are um, circulating in silo. Should you hit upon one of the one of the main themes is truth? What is truth? And it, it seems to have hit what's going on in the world today, in particular here in the good old U.S. Yeah, yeah 
And so, um, yes, it does resonate uh, for now. I think there's been, I think there's been some behavior in the past few years that I would, I would say I would not like to see repeated. Uh, um, I think there's been a lot of uh, division that has been stoked. Uh, that's intentional, and uh, I don't like that. Uh, I think we have more in common than we think, and uh, we're getting very tribal. And I, I, I think people's uh, behavior has been, shall we say, a little uh, disappointing. Mm-hmm. Well, great to talk to you. I uh, <laughs> I have my theories as to what happens at the end, but uh, all I will say is thumb drive, and that's about it. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's a great final episode. It really is, no doubt about it. Yeah, and that what it. Yeah, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, great to talk to you. Take care. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. The creative team had a major world-building challenge. Computers look not too far from the old computers from the 80s and 90s. And there's no phones, let alone cell phones, and no television. The design was based on what the mysterious founders would think about creating this world. So a a round, multi-level silo was built with that template used to make the alleyways, stairways, the apartments, doors, adhere to that design. A three-level silo was created, uppers, mids, and lowers, with each having their own design elements. This was not only physical, but it created its own internal class structure. Uppers were the most worthy, mids were just that in the middle, and the lowers were were the engineers, the recyclers, and many doing the dirty jobs. All this to make it as functional and real as possible. They blended visual effects and practical sets to really add to that authenticity. Production design and set decoration made the world plausible. Harriet Walker is Martha who never leaves her home and shop combo where she fixes things. Hey, you're one, as they say here in the States, you're one hell of an actor. I'll tell you what a what an arc you had. I've seen all 10, so it's it's amazing. Um, for those that we don't that don't know or haven't seen it yet, because it hasn't aired yet, kind of talk to her about about her Martha's relationship with Juliet. It's almost to me like a surrogate mom. Yes, I think that's true. I think um Juliet comes to Martha's workshop um sort of trying to escape the grief of losing her mother and her brother. And Martha very quickly says, you know, this isn't this isn't just for you little rich girls to escape. You've got to do the you've got to do the work. Um, because it's a mechanical workshop. It's it's vital to the survival of the silo and you you do what I say and you learn on the job and you can cut your airs and graces right now. So she's pretty tough on this little girl. And but it's a kind of tough love because she also recognizes in this young girl that, you know, something of her own defiance and um, inner strength. And so she's followed her all these years with great interest. Um, And now suddenly um, Juliet's going to be 
a figure of authority higher up. And that is a threat to, to, to Martha. She thinks she's going to lose her. And um, Juliet doesn't really have anybody else in that position. So the truth is she's always going to need Martha. And therefore, you know, Martha doesn't need to fear that she will um, get sucked up, up up top and not see her. But so, so there's a kind of love. There's also a slight envy of this younger person who's doing all the stuff that Martha feels she should have done and is feeling a bit of a failure that she didn't do. Um, there's also a, a, a lot of admonishment of, of Juliet when she thinks she's being reckless, when she thinks she's doing things that will just endanger people and, and you know, isn't using her head. So, the, the, yeah, she's a sort of discipline, but she's tough love is the summary. It, I also get the impression that, if, and you can comment on this, that Martha kind of has a pulse on the lower levels as to what's going on. She, she is a source of information for a lot of people, it sounds like. It's interesting that d despite the fact she's agoraphobic and doesn't go outside her workshop, people need to come to her in order to get stuff fixed. And therefore, she finds out stuff on the grapevine. And people obviously, I mean, it's almost like being a, a shrink or something because people tell her things they know won't go beyond those four walls. So, um, yeah, she is, a bit, she is a bit of a sort of um, hub of knowledge. She's, she's a bit of a heart and a hub. I mean, you've done science fiction before with the doctor, of course. And uh, what is it about sci-fi and now silo? What is it about it that appeals to you? Um, I can't honestly say that I put it in that category and think of it that way. I just, um, I'm interested in human behavior, future, past, whatever. I mean, I've done a lot of classics um, and I find the same interest there that even though I'm behaving, I'm doing some, I'm playing a character who's living in, Tudor England, uh, they're still absolutely human. And I'm interested in that continuum of, you know, what makes us human, whether it's from, you know, medieval England or futuristic silos. It's all that strand of um, human beings kind of consistently repeating themselves, <laughs> but however the environment changes. Well, it's been a pleasure to watch you. I think if people tune in, your the, the last episode, your character has an amazing scene and you pulled it off wonderfully. It's definitely worth the wait. Love the arc of this character. Thank you Thank so you. much. That's great. Combining retro and futuristic even went to the costume designed by Charlotte Morris. She made sure the costumes fit the environment, drawing inspiration from the 1980s fashions with influence from the 50s 90s, and even 70s. In the silo, everyone customized their own clothes based on the level that they lived in. Clothes are repurposed and are limited due to what's available. Avi Nash plays Lucas Kyle, a resident of the silo who works for IT. And after his shift, he's in the mess hall looking at the giant window to the outside and wondering, what is out there? I like this backdrop you got going on. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had a studio like this, but I don't. That's that's life. Love this character for you. I think you're doing a great job with it. I've seen 10 episodes, so I've seen everything. Kind of tell us a little bit about him. He seems like the curious type a little bit. Too. He is. Look, Lucas uh, is a dreamer. 
You know, he's a lover. He's not a fighter. And and I think he is the harbinger of hope for, for this story and for the audience and um, for the silo at large. You know, he's he's one of those people who, no matter how deep and dark and down the dystopia might get, you know, there are people that still dream about how it could be better and what else might be out there. So it's a real pleasure to play somebody like that. And then into his life comes Juliet Nichols. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he he stumbles upon someone else who's a little bit weird like him. And, and they're not weird in the same way, but he can see reflected in her something that's different, you know. And and I think he is seen by her. And that that's really wonderful for him because, you know, I, I think he hasn't experienced something like that before. And so they're able to connect and share. And, you know, he... He's trying to figure out what that means and, and, and work his way through it. But, but at the end of the day, he, he has dreams. And so he, he goes for his dreams. He also seems to be the type that he kind of wants to see what's behind the curtain without giving anything away here. Uh, a natural curiosity, maybe? Yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's a driving force in him, you know, is, is he always is going to ask the questions of why, how, how come, when, what's there. Um, but he also is conflicted by the implication of those questions. And I think that's why, you know, in meeting Juliet, he finds kind of a foil to that because sometimes maybe she's less interested in the, in the curiosity behind those questions, but she has the gumption to go and find out. And, and um, I think that, that provides for the two of them a really nice balance that they can, they can hopefully find in one another. Without giving anything away, do you know what I mean? That's, yeah, that's the name of the game. <laughs> you know, I think one of the themes that is really central to this is truth and finding what that truth is. Kind of comment on that. I think it's very relevant to what's going on. These yeah, look, I, I think that the best sci-fi reflects back onto us as a society questions that we should be asking ourselves today, and hopefully we are. And, and in this story, the truth is held by a select few and the rest of the world lives in ignorance. And, and in our world today, we live in the post-truth age, right? And, and people can be, excuse the pun, siloed off into their, their own worlds. And, you know, I can believe something and you can believe something totally different and never shall the two meet. And, and that's a different and perhaps equally problematic relationship with truth. And, and so I think hopefully this show will cause us as, as people and as an audience to really question, you know, are we okay with that relationship of truth? Or, or can we maybe one day get back to a place where we can disagree, but we can work to, to finding a, a, a truth through, you know, it's like, it's very nerdy, but it's a Socratic method, man. That's what we got to get back to. You know, a little bit of grace goes a long way. What's it like for you when you first stepped on the sets are absolutely incredible. It's, it was unreal. I mean, um, I, I was in hair and makeup uh, my first day, just doing a little test, and I was really curious how we were going to do this. And I was like, can I please go in and see the set? And they were like, yeah, yeah, of course. Here, take this hard hat. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, well, we're still building everything. And so I like put this hard hat on, and I walked in, and you kind of open the doors, and then, it, you know, it just goes up and up and up. And it's like three stories of silo that they've constructed. And I never in my life had been on a set that that is that immense, you know? And, 
and it's such a gift as an actor because you know I just kind of ran up all the stairs and ran across the levels and you go you, I'm really gonna get to play in this thing and it's real you know it's not green screen um, so it's uh, it's a real privilege to be able to do that oh what a pleasure talking to you loved you on The Walking Dead my wife cried when your character died <laughs> oh thanks Tony appreciate all it right. all right thank you great to talk to you man Special thanks to Apple TV Plus for allowing me to attend and speak to this talented cast and showrunners. At the beginning of every Sci-Fi Talk episode, I state the mission of this podcast on how sci-fi, among other genres, help us explore our own humanity. This series explores that human condition in freedom and also its truth. This is a don't miss series. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.